Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I was in the second grade, living in a little old town outside of San Angelo, Texas, called Big Lake. And I just got through with a little league baseball game. I played for the Reds, still had my jersey on. Went out to the house and I was playing outside. See, that's what we used to do, kids, uh, for cell phones and video games. There was this place called Outside. And we played there. It was crazy. It was fun. And I, I, was, I was playing Tarzan or something because my dad had a Chevy Love pickup with a toolbox on it parked underneath the carport. And I was climbing up on that toolbox and I was jumping trying to grab one of the, it had like three inch pipe cross beams. And I was trying to grab a hold of that, right? And I, I, could, I could touch it, but I never could, I wanted to hang from that, right? Because that's what kids do. It's what second graders do, right? And I tried like three or four times and finally I got mad. I was like, uh, watch this. And I mean, I jumped as hard as I could and I got my little old hands over it. But my momentum swung me out like that, and I fell flat on my back in the concrete. But I tried to brace my fall like this, and this arm landed behind me. And I got up, and I felt the strangest feeling in two places. One was the back of my noggin, and the other, my right arm wouldn't work. And my dad was working in the front yard, and I remember walking around the deal, and I'm rubbing my head with my left hand, because my right arm won't work. And I said, Dad? And he goes, yeah. And I said, my arm won't work. And he turned around and just went white as a sheet. Now, you had to understand, my dad was a sheriff's deputy at the time, later on to be the elected sheriff. He had pulled dead bodies, suicides. Uh, he had seen the worst of the worst in y'all law enforcement and first responders. Hats off to you. I can't imagine the pain and stuff that y'all have seen. And my dad had seen all of that. And he went white and started stuttering and stammering. And I think if my grandmother wouldn't have been there that day, I would still be there. So he, he doesn't really know what to do. And so he hollers for mom and she comes out and she takes one look at me and they gather me up and they throw me in the truck. And here we go to the hospital, right? I'm just sitting there. No big deal. We get there and they, they lay me down on the x-ray table and they're taking some x-rays. And then they wheel me back into the emergency room from that, and I ain't shed a tear. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, there, there, there's another person in there, and he lived a couple of blocks down from my grandmother. His name was Chili Holt. And I could hear Chili's voice. And I was like, what's Chili Holt doing in here? Known him my whole life. And I hear the doctor, and my dad's in there also, and I hear the doctor say, uh, well... It's broke bad. It's broke bad enough that I hope we don't have to take it. And I mean, I start bawling, right? Blah! You know, my arm's going to be cut off. And I mean, just bawling. I ain't cried a lick until now. And whenever I start bawling and squalling, they all come running in there, doctor and everything. He comes in there like, what's the matter? Like, you told me it was broke. He's like, talking to Chili Holt. He hit his thumb with a hammer. You're going to have to cut his thumb off. He's like, no, I was just playing with him, Kevin. <laughs> okay. I thought you said it was broke. He goes, oh, your arm is as broke as a broke arm can be. It was sticking through the skin. 
<laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any more broke than that. <laughs> but he said, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about Chili. Sometimes we hear things and think that they're meant for us. And we, and we, and we totally miss the whole point. And one of those things happens on this Easter weekend that we celebrate when Jesus uttered the three greatest words ever spoken on this earth by the greatest man that ever lived on this earth. And these three words are powerful, but he wasn't talking about you. It's found in John nineteen thirty. You don't have to turn there. In John nineteen thirty, it says, when Jesus partook of that, he took a deep breath and said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Now, when Jesus says it is finished, he wasn't talking about you. He was talking about what he had done for you. But he's not talking about you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it explains this. And he says, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You know, what's kind of crazy is one of the, one, one of the great Christian cliches is, well, nobody's perfect, right? Well, Jesus was perfect, right? And Hebrews ten fourteen says, for that, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now, we, we may not be perfect in the sense that we will never sin again and we're not perfect uh, as what Jesus was perfect. But we are perfect in God's sight because by faith in Jesus Christ, whenever God sees us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees his son's perfection because that's what happened on the cross is that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It does not mean that we are without sin when it says, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect. It means that we are without condemnation for our sins. It is not a license to sin, but being freed from the slavery to it. And if you're not trying to grow in Christ, you're not living in Christ. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. But what does that mean? He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy. Being made holy is by being given a new mind. When, when, when Jesus is making us in his image, we're, giving, we're given a new mind. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't think like the world thinks. We don't have the same values as the world does. We no longer operate on, on greed and lust and hate, but on humility and love and passion for Christ and for God and what his son did for us. Those that are being made holy have been given a new mind. It also means that we're being made holy by giving a new meaning in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given unto you. 
That's the meaning of your life. You should be putting God first in everything that you do. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. He was talking about the birds of the air clothed and fed and the flowers of the field are clothed and fed. And aren't you worth more than, than flowers and, and, and birds? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be given unto you. We've been given a new meaning. We've been given a new message. A new message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And think about that. A new message is one of love, not one of hate. Man, I am so sick and tired of supposed Christians criticizing each other. But just because some people don't do it the same way. We're not doing anything the same way as other churches are going to do it, but that doesn't make them right and us wrong or us right and them wrong. It, it has nothing to do with right or wrong. We should be bound by love, loving each other. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon that, that said, you know, that, that one of the knocks on Christianity is that, well, you just think you're better than everybody else. You're right. We should be better. We should be better at loving everybody than the world is. We should be better at giving people a break. We should be better at, at showing humility. There is about a thousand things that we should be better about. So as Christians, should you be better than everybody else? Yes, I believe so. But not in a because you like above them or something. We should actually be at the end trying to usher them towards a new life. Living a life that they would want of being made holy by giving a new mind, a new meaning, a new message, and a new mission. Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Then he appeared to his disciples, and the last thing he said on this earth before he ascended into heaven is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where Jesus said, Go into the world and make disciples of all men and all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We should be living our lives as a reflection of who God is. Most people you know will never sit in here for a sermon like you are today. Your life might be the greatest sermon that they'll ever hear. Will it be a great sermon? Will it be a great sermon? Will you live your life with a new mind? Will you live your life with a new meaning? Will you live your life with a new message, a message of love and a new mission of putting God first in your life and giving that message to others by the spreading of the good news. When Jesus says it is finished, he wasn't talking about you. He was talking about his work of making you perfect. Now you are being made holy by a new mind, a new meaning, a new message, and a new mission. And now I'm going to do something that I did on the very first Sunday that I did at the sunrise service this morning. And I hope that I can make it all through it. It's just kind of an Easter illustration. The stud kicked at the man that had just put some sweet feet in the trough. How dare this man come so close to him and his mares? Didn't this human realize who he was? 
The stud didn't know or understand the details, but he knew he was important. Since birth, he had been trained to keep one cow away from the rest of the herd, and he was good at it. Everywhere he went, people marveled at him. He held his head up proudly, and folks walked by and smiled in obvious appreciation. Every time he performed in the big arena, surrounded by cheering fans, he always walked away a winner. He'd never met his match when it came to blocking where a cow wanted to go. This type of ability came with some welcomed rewards. The cowboy that owned him and rode him was a humble man. He had never been beaten or mistreated the stud. He had never beaten or mistreated the stud in any way. The cowboy always seemed to stay just out of reach of his hind feet. And when the stud would try to kick him when he came to clean out his stall, the cowboy wore thick leggings. And when he was shooing the stud, one of his favorite games was to wait until the nail would break through the hoof wall and then jerk his foot away from the cowboy before he could twist it off. The cowboy had never missed a morning or evening feeding time. When the sun was out and the weather was pretty, he and all of his mares would be turned out into a big pasture where they could graze and run. This is where the stud felt most alive. Out here, away from the cowboy and his cones and feed buckets, away from the trucks and trailers, away from noisy roads and nosy neighbors who came and wanted to see him. This stud didn't need these two-legged creatures. He was king of his world, and new ladies were constantly being brought to him. Life couldn't get much better. When the storms or rain would build up, the stud knew that all he had to do was go stand at the gate, and his servant would come and usher the king into his throne room where it was safe. And it was dry. Fresh straw would be laid in his room for his comfort and completely changed each day. He used these times to torment his servant cowboy just to relieve the boredom. Until the rains or the snows stopped, the stud took his frustrations out on the cowboy, even though this man brought him food and cleaned his stall and changed his bedding, washed the trough out, and put in clean water. The stud never tired of holding his head up high in blatant disdain for the man. One day after his morning meal had been served to him in a silver bucket, the stud saw a warm sunshine that called out to him from the barn door. He knew that he and his mares, followed by some of his kids that had been born, would be turned out to the wide open spaces that he loved so much. His displeasure at not being turned out immediately was evident, and he did his best to kick and bite the man as he combed out his mane and tail. With the patience of Job, the cowboy just tended to his duties seemingly unaware of the sorry attitude of the proud stud. When he and all of his mares were finally turned out, he ran and bucked and slung his head, showing off for the new girls and exerting his dominance for the entire world to see. He trotted off to the far side of the pasture, knowing without looking that he would be followed and expecting as much. He wanted to get far away from that cowboy that pestered and bothered him all the time. The day was perfect, even though it was windy. He didn't mind the wind because it kept the flies away. He watched as two foals jumped around and played. The chorus of birds in the trees seemed to be singing his anthem. Pride swelled in his heart as he surveyed his kingdom. Later on in the afternoon, a belly full of grass and sun shining on his face. Something caused the stud to raise his head. At first, he couldn't see anything, but he continued to watch as something deep inside him told him that something just wasn't right. He took a few steps toward the west where the barn and stables were. His eyes scanned every brush and his ears shot forward in intense concentration right there. He caught a slight movement between him and the barn. The barn and pens were at least two miles away, but something was moving between him and his castle. It flickered on the ground, but seemed to take flight like a flock of birds and then disappear as it rose in the air. 
He'd seen this dancing light when they were working calves. He knew it was hot and gave off heat, but this fire wasn't heating up branding irons. It was eating up the pasture and it was headed his way. He could smell the smoke now, a pungent smell of burnt grass and trees. He stood there for a second running over the options he had. A stud doesn't make things complicated. It's either fight or flight. He reared in frustration and yelled the signal for retreat. He herded his group away from the rapidly growing menace and looked back as they all ran as far as they could in the opposite direction of the fire. They got to the fence line and he sent them right. Down there was a brushy copse that they had might be able to hide in. He'd used it several times to hide from the cowboy when he didn't feel like going back to the barn. The smoke was starting to burn his eyes and lungs now. Where he used to be able to see for miles, visibility was reduced now to just a few hundred feet. They reached the brushy area with trees and huddled inside its seeming protection. This was the corner of the pasture, and it was where he knew they would either escape the fire or die in it. The stud stood between his family and the racing fire. The wind that kept the flies off of him earlier now seemed to be pushing this choking and deadly enemy straight towards him. He watched helplessly as a foal tried to jump the fence in fear of the stinging smoke that seemed to be suffocating them all, but the foal didn't make it. And he saw a scarlet gash open up on its chest and blood started to flow. The mares placed the foals behind them in an attempt to shield them from the smoke and fire. It was so hard to breathe now. And for the first time in his life, the stud felt true fear. His eyes rolled and his nostrils flared only to have them fill with smoke. The fire was only about a hundred yards away and already most of the foals had collapsed from breathing the smoke. Day had turned to night and the air had become lethal. If only there was a way out. Embers like the fires that the stud used to watch landed on him and burned his skin. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't fight. His family was dying. There was only one thing left to do. He raised his head and with all the power he had, with every muscle that had ever moved a cow, with all the clean air he had left in his powerful lungs, he cried out for help. Again, he cried out as he watched another mare go down. He reared up again and let another cry. The grass was catching fire around them and he used the last of his energy to stomp on them. He knew little else to do. He went to cry out again, but something was wrong. There was no air left and darkness started to close in from the sides. Like a giant curtain being drawn around him, his vision bid farewell. He hit his knees, not out of will or want, but because his legs no longer supported him. He tried to stay up, but it was of no use. He was out of time. He was out of air. He was out of strength. And he was out of hope. He would trade this moment for another coming of his tail from that cowboy any day. He wouldn't kick or bite or even move. To have that cowboy nail a thousand shoes to his feet at this moment would be better than one more second of this. He wouldn't even pull back or bite if given another chance. Is this how it always ends? With nothing but a bunch of if-onlys racing through your mind? As he laid there gasping, nothing but rotten air. He thought he saw something in the flames. The flames that were nearly upon them. He could feel the heat now. He could smell his hair starting to burn. But there it was again. Movement in the flames. And now a sound. The last thing the stud saw was the old ranch pickup emerged from out of the fires. Racing towards him. The truck smoked as the fires tried in vain to bring it down. And sitting in the driver's seat was the cowboy. 
The cowboy slid the truck to a stop, but didn't come to check on the stud. Instead, he ran to the back of the truck where there was a tank. He did something and water started to spray out of a stick that he held in his hand. The stud felt cool water land on him. And his eyes closed for the last time. He felt a hand on his neck. Was that a man's voice he heard? Surely it couldn't be. He felt an odd, old, familiar sensation as a halter was placed around his nose. He opened his eyes and saw nothing but black earth all around. The voice he heard had an urging quality to it. All at once, the fear, like waking from a bad dream, rushed in on him, and he jumped to his feet. Soothing voices and soft hands comforted him. All of the cowboy's friends that he had seen so many times were there. They were tending to the mares and foals, most of who were getting up. Particular attention was being paid to the foal with the bad cut. The stud looked around, whipping his head back and forth, calling for the cowboy that had always been there for him. No matter the time of day or month of the year, he looked for the one friend he knew in life. Everywhere he looked, he only saw blackness of charred grass and trees, but no cowboy. The truck that he had seen burst through the flames now resembled a burnt piece of wood. As he was led to a waiting truck and trailer, he noticed two people kneeling over a black mound of dirt. They were obviously upset and were crying, their hands over their faces. He couldn't understand what this was all about until he saw the mound of what he thought was dirt had cowboy boots on. As the trailer pulled away, the stud saw that everything had been burned, everything except the area where he and his family had succumbed to the smoke. And like a headstone on a grave, the burned pickup marked the spot where his Savior had died for him. The stud still loves the pasture, only this time it's for a different reason. He doesn't understand why, but whenever he is turned out, he is drawn to that back corner. He remembers the place, that little brushy spot in the corner where he'd cried out against the smoke and flames that were killing him and his family. And he'll never forget that day even though the land bears fewer scars than his heart does. As he walks up to the place, he stops at a large piece of wood stuck in the ground where he had last seen the cowboy. This is where he finds peace. He is comforted by this place of tragedy, but a sadness still remains. The stud wishes he could get combed out one more time by the man that had cared for him for so long. If he could only lift a hoof and feel it between the cowboy's legs again, what he wouldn't give for a soft rub on the nose from the man he had once despised, but now that he loved. But that can't happen now. So instead of rearing up in foolish pride, he bows his head in humble remembrance of the sacrifice that was made for him. The last time he hit his knees here, it was in the grasp of death. Now he hits his knees in the grasp of love. For some reason, though, He thinks that one day he will see his cowboy again. But until then, he will live a life worthy of the sacrifice that was made that day when one man died so that he could live. I was at a fundraiser in Kearney, Nebraska a week ago. And a cowboy poet was there and he talked of a fire much the same as this. And that he had walked out there, check, you know, going to check his cattle and everything. And he came across a prairie chicken that had been burned alive in the fire. And as he looked down, 
he heard something. And he thought, there's no way that thing is still alive. And so with the toe of his boot, he flips this prairie chicken over. And there are four babies underneath of her. True story. She had covered those babies with her wings. When she could have flown away, she chose to stay there and protect them. And that's what Jesus did for y'all on this weekend that we celebrate. He could have flown away. He didn't have to go to that cross, but he did. He didn't do it for me. He did it for you. My question is, what now will you do in return? God, thank you so much for this weekend that we celebrate. Thank you for the emotion. Thank you for for the gift of life that you have given us. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus up on that cross. It was love. He could have he could have left at any time. He could have left at any moment. But he didn't leave because he loves you. And he loves me. And he wants what he wants in return is that same type of love from us. But God, we are so busy with our own with our own lives that we very rarely pay attention anymore. We're losing it, God. We are losing our way. But I pray now that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the hearts and minds of those that are here today, that, that they will be given a new mind and a new meaning and a new message and a new mission today. God, give us the courage to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ down that narrow, hard trail that many search for, but few find. Many are at the trailhead today, and I pray they follow it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.